Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. It's so easy for us to fall into a view of Jesus that is simple or routine. But Jesus came to radically change our perspective on what it means to truly live. We're in a series that takes a look at the statements that Jesus said about his mission for coming to earth. Our lives are different because of Jesus. Glad to have you guys worship with us, especially if you are new to Grace Life. We're actually in a series we've been doing, and today is is part seven. The good news is all the other ones are online, so you can go and catch them if you want. And we're going to wrap this up next week. Next week is going to be the final part. And today, what we're talking about is going to be more special to parents than than everyone else. And so, if you're a parent, come on, who's with me? Parents in the room? See, I know there are a lot of you because the the nursery people every week tell me, don't let any more kids come. We don't have any room for any more kids. So, anyway, it's all good. They love your kids. Just kidding. (laughs) Y'all are, okay, we're going to have to laugh together today. You guys with me? They do love your kids, I promise. There's just a lot of them. So, here's what we've been doing in this series called Because of Jesus. We're looking at some statements that Jesus made or statements that were made about Jesus that say why he came. It turns out that most of us may think he only came to do one thing, but he came to do a lot of different things. As a result of that, there are many things in our world or in our lives that should be very, very different. So again, like I said, parents are going to relate to today's message a little bit more than everybody else. We had one of these parent kind of moments, uh, and and you'll, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about here in just a minute, when we went on the first vacation that we ever took when we had four children. So, you know, when you have one child, you go to the beach for the first time, it's pretty easy. It's two to one. You got this thing, right? And then you have another child and well, you know, you're at least playing man defense, kind of got this thing figured out. You get three kids, we're into zone defense. Anybody with me on the, you know, and and so we reached the point where there are four kids and uh, somehow we were just totally losing this battle altogether. So we said, if we're going to go anywhere When we did this also, it's important to know that the last three of those kids were four, three, and not yet one. So, you know, the idea of a vacation with that, well, some people could say we were crazy, uh, but we tried this anyway. And so when you do a vacation like this with kids this age, then the, the first thing that you're doing is looking for a place where you can just kind of contain the children and sit back and watch. Like nothing can really go wrong, right? I'm, I'm glad somebody's with me. I got some parents smiling about this. You already know where this story's going. So, so we found this resort had all these different condos and places you could rent, had several large hotels and everything. And as a result, a result of that, they had lots of pools. And most of the pools, the adult people would go and hang out over there because there was this one where all the kids would be. And it was contained. It was fenced in and plants all around. I think they had kind of like, you don't want to see the uh, other people and the other people don't want to see your children or something. That was the idea. And, and so they had one tiny little gate going in and one tiny little gate going out. The idea was that you could let your kids play. Chances are nobody is, is going to get out. So we go in there and we're playing all day. We got a 12-year-old, four or three, and again, under one we're talking about. And so they're all playing. They're having a great time. We're there for hours and uh, we're done and it, it's time to go. So we, we get ready to load everybody up. And the good news again, very thin gate so that people can't get out to make sure kids don't escape. It's basically single file. So we put the, the less than one in a stroller and the 12-year-old is helping, you know, grabbing the cooler and grabbing all the stuff you got to carry and everything. And, 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 you know, what's crazy is even when it's a contained space like that, small children somehow still find a way through. Y'all, y'all know what I'm saying? And so as we push the stroller and we return all the towels and we push right out the gate and we turn around and realize we 
to have a few less kids than we had a second ago. <laughs> our four-year-old boy, Nathan, our third, three-year-old boy, Caden, they're, they're just gone. Now, if you are a parent, you don't panic at first because this happens all the time. Like you're at home and they're behind the couch or they're under the bed or they're behind you playing a game. And all you got to do is turn around and there they are, that kind of thing. So, or, or they're under the stroller or something. So at first, it's just like, hey, Nate, Caden. And then a few seconds go by and you hadn't figured that out. So you take a few steps that way and you look around and you take a few steps this way and you look around and, and you're just, you know, it's not a big deal yet. And so then there's, you know, like the little snack thing and there's the little bathroom building and the palmetto trees and all that stuff. So you do a little loop around all those. And now a minute has passed and you haven't found a four-year-old and a three-year-old in a mega resort with lots of people. So now you start having one of those moments, right? But, you know, I'm not going to overreact too much. I'm one of those people I can kind of keep my calm for a little bit. And, and that's kind of what I was doing. But, you know, that, that's, that's the daddy gene. Come on, ladies. There's a different gene mamas have. And there's like a 60-second window before the mama gene kicks in. Because when mama lost her babies, it is a bad day for everybody. And so suddenly she starts panicking. Where are our children? Where are my children? And, and Okay, so I tell the 12-year-old to stay with the 1-year-old. You stay right here. You, you're all we've got. <laughs> you're carrying on the, the family legacy is in your hands. Don't move. And we're going to go try to find the other two. So, and she goes one direction, I go another direction, and, and I go and I check all the pools because I used to be a lifeguard, so my first thought is if, if there are two small children and lots of people and water, nobody's looking at those kids. Nobody's paying attention. So I'm, I ran and I checked all the pools. She goes and she looks at a few places. She goes into the lobby to tell them we need help. We have lost our children. And they look at her and say, don't worry, ma'am, this happens all the time. <laughs> How many of y'all know you don't say that to a mama lost her babies? <laughs> yeah, no, you shouldn't have done that. So my wife became well known in that resort for the next few minutes. Um, she became the center of attention in that lobby. So anyway, after about five or six minutes or something, and, and the lobby now has her very well known, and everybody is now looking for these kids because otherwise she's going to kill somebody, uh, we come back together where we left the family legacy, and we still haven't found them. And so now we're starting to get a little more nervous. And so she decides she's going to go to a few other places and expand her search. And now I've decided, well, they weren't at the pools. Maybe they've made their way to the beach. And, well, that's even a little scarier. Because, you know, I, I usually don't overreact, but at the point that we're six or seven minutes into searching for a four-year-old and a three-year-old in the world we live in, you do start to get a little nervous. And being a lifeguard, you get a little nervous. And so now I'm running down to the beach, and I'm, I'm looking in the water, and I'm looking on the beach, and I, I'm trying to find everything. And you, you kind of have that, wow, good news, I didn't find them. Or is that bad news? Like, you know, you kind of start having that good news is bad news kind of thing. And so after a, a little bit more time, we come back together and, and she still hasn't found them, and I haven't found them. And, and so we start thinking, well, where could they go? What could they do? We've got all the staff members looking. And if all the staff members are looking and nobody has found them, now we're really starting to get nervous. And so uh, my wife gets the idea that she's going to go back to the condo, which was drivable distance. I mean, it was walkable too, but we had to decide to drive because that's what you do when you got four kids and all that junk. And so if they were going to make their way back to the condo, they, they could play hide-and-seek in this resort for like a year and nobody would ever find them. I mean, there's that many bushes and buildings and everything you could hide behind. So, so we're a little worried about that. And, and I do a, another check again, and she's gone, and we don't have phones to talk to each other because, you know, we didn't bring those to the pool or whatever. And I decide I'm going to go and help her 
because, well, like I said, the resort is huge and they could have gone down any side road. And so I get the 12-year-old and the not yet one-year-old and we put them in the minivan and get all loaded up and get ready to go and look. And, and then I look in the rearview mirror. Yep, that's how the story goes. Not 50 feet from where we lost them, they have been this entire 30-minute panic mode, right? And what happened is they simply went out the gate, went right around the corner. There were some construction uh, containers for some stuff they were doing. And on the other side of the construction container was a golf cart. And they were just having the time of their lives on this golf cart, pretending to be daddy, driving on vacation. It was like, ah! it wasn't going anywhere, but a three-year-old doesn't know, man. <laughs> they were just having the best time of their lives while we're in the middle of a panic mode, right? Come on, parents who have ever had a panic mode, you know what I'm talking about, right? Grocery stores, parking lots, swimming pools. If you are a parent, you have had that sheer panic mode. <gasps> and the reason is very simple. When our children are in danger, nothing is okay, right? You know why that is? Because we're made in God's image. That nature comes from Him. And when His children are in danger, when His children are lost, He stops everything for that. Which gets us to the statement we're talking about today because one of the things that Jesus came to do because of God's heart for His lost children was that Jesus would come to seek and save the lost. And the funny thing is, is they are just like my children. They're playing. They've just found something fun to do on earth and they're having a blast and they don't even know their lost. They don't even know what is going on. They don't even know the Father's heart to chase them down. So that's what we're going to look at today. I want to show you in context why this is so important because this is honestly easy for you and me, but this was a profound thought when Jesus came to the earth. If you've got your Bibles, we're in Luke chapter 19. If not, it's going to be on both screens right here beside me. And so we're going to start right at the beginning of the chapter. We've got a story. Uh, some of you will know the song, right? And so here we go. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who suddenly has a song come to their head. Okay, you went to vacation Bible school. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee, there we go. All right, good. Some of you are with me. Yeah, okay. If you didn't grow up in church, you have been spared that earworm of being stuck in your head. Zacchaeus was... Now, I gave it to you. There you go. All right, but here's the thing. So Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. But let me tell you why he's rich. Because he was a crook. Most of Scripture will talk about sinners, and it will say sinners and tax collectors. You see, the reality is everybody knew they were sinners, but tax collectors were special. They didn't get to, to be lumped in with the rest of us normal sinners. They're extra special sinners. And the reason for that is they literally were stealing from their own people. They would go up and say, well, the, the, the king says you owe this. The government says you owe this. And everybody knew that a portion of that, whatever portion they decided, was actually just theirs. They were just going to pocket it and take it. But how were you going to argue with them? That was before Microsoft and Apple. There were no central computer systems. It was whatever this guy said. And the more that you picked a fight, the more that number was likely to go up, right? So people hated tax collectors. This is why he was rich. And he, surprisingly, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because, well, he was small in stature. Just for the record, God loves people small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. 
So he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. And when they, the crowd, saw it, they grumbled. They all grumbled and said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Why are they grumbling? I mean, think about this. If this were a movie, this would be the feel-good moment of the movie. Like the, the bad dude has figured out he's bad and he's turning to Jesus and Jesus is saying, come down from the tree. This is where the, the music gets louder and the angels go, ah, you know, that kind of thing. And this would be the moment in the movie where your wife gets out of tissue and she's rubbing her eyes. And it's like, yes, the bad guy is getting his life right. He's been touched by Jesus. And if this is such a feel good moment, then why is the entire crowd grumbling and complaining and saying, I can't believe he's going to be with us there? The reason is very simple. See, Jesus started his ministry when he was 30 years old. And he didn't do that because 30 just sounded good. He did that because he came to reach a culture. And in that culture, you had no voice until you were 30. Because at 30 was the age where you could become a religious teacher. It was the point where you could be a rabbi. Now, it was incredibly common for the Jews and the Israelites at that point in time that people would rise up to be a religious leader. They made a living out of this. They would go to school, they would study, and they would know the Torah and the law. They would know all there was. And so they were waiting for when they could be 30 and somebody would finally call them a rabbi. And they would say, well, if you will follow me, I will teach you those ways. And so suddenly you've got all of these rabbis. They gather their little followers around them and it's their their school and so these guys would take care of them sometimes even pay to be a part of that school and so it became their living to start their own little rabbi club so to speak and all these people following them they'd walk down the street with their head held high and they've got all these little followers after them so everybody at that point in time just assumed jesus is coming to be another one of these religious leaders he's going to gather all of these religious people around them all of the good people, and they're going to get together, and they're going to show us how to be good, and they're going to follow the rules so good because they're just good religious people. Oh, y'all with me, right? And that was what they all thought. And Jesus started to show them that y'all have got it all wrong. You got it all wrong. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you that you've got it all wrong by the very people I hang out with. Because instead of hanging out with all of those religious people, I'm going to go and pick the world's rejected people, and I'm even going to go and visit this man who is the chief of sinners he's a tax collector you you won't even let him be called a sinner and i'm going to go to his house which is why jesus then told him what he did so zacchaeus stood and said to the lord behold lord half the half of my goods i give to the poor and if i've defrauded anyone of anything i restore it fourfold you so zacchaeus knew he was a sinner but that's the point he knew he was self-aware And as he met Jesus, he changed. And so Jesus said to him, well, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Now, for you and me, 2018, we've gone to church for a while. For those of you that have, we would look at this and say this is the least arguable statement in the entire series. This is the most agreed upon, everybody knows it kind of statement. You know what I'm saying? We have politicians that when they want to relate to getting votes from certain people, they'll even quote John 3.16. Our whole world basically knows, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And we say, of course that's why Jesus came. Well, what else do you think that he came to do? 
we could have people who would actually argue with some of the other, well, he came to destroy the works of the devil. Well, you know, what does that really mean? And this is not arguable today. But back then, it was incredibly arguable. People thought that Jesus was coming to establish his religious kingdom and that he was coming to, to redeem all of Israel and to create the greatest nation on the earth, even if that was the Messiah. They weren't sure he was the Messiah yet. Either way, they totally misunderstood what Jesus was doing. Well, here's the thing. I think we still misunderstand. You see, if Jesus came to seek and save the lost, we usually get the first question and then we just stop. And we don't get the second question that should come with that. So here's the first question. If Jesus came to seek and save the lost, am I among the saved? Now, I want you just to stop and think about that for a minute. That honestly is not the emphasis of what we're talking about today. That, that's not the point that I want to make. And, and so as I got up this morning, though, and I'm just kind of going through my notes, and I'm all excited to say, you know, here we go, and here's, here's question number two, and, and whatever, the Holy Spirit's like, wait a minute, Jimmy, don't make too small of a point of, do I count myself among the saved? Because the truth is, some of us are not. And some of us don't say that. And some of us don't want to say that. Well, first of all, we don't even like that language. I mean, let's think about that. Who wants to get up tomorrow and go to work? You walk into your place of work and y'all go, hey, everybody just wants y'all to know I'm saved. Yeah, nobody. Any, any students ready to go to high school tomorrow? Algebra class. Hey, everybody, I'm saved. You see, we don't like that language at the very least because, well, it implies that, that we're in a bad situation that we can't get ourselves out of and, and that maybe even we put ourselves there to some degree and we need somebody else to do something for us. And, well, in humanity, that just bothers us. And then when you add independent American on top of humanity, that just rubs us the wrong way. But here's the truth. We have a perfectly holy God in heaven. And then we have us. Not perfectly holy. And we like to try to decide just what shade of gray we are. It really doesn't matter because, well, we're not perfectly holy. It, it really doesn't matter what you think you have done and what your list of you haven't done and you know all of that sort of stuff. At the end of the day, there is a punishment for not perfectly holy. And that is that we have to pay for those sins. And the only way to pay for those sins is with our death. And that is accompanied by an eternal punishment. Unless we are saved from that punishment. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can be saved from that punishment. I know it's not cool language. I know it sounds churchy. I know it sounds Bible Beltish, and I know nobody wants a t-shirt that says I'm saved. So you don't have to have the t-shirt and you don't have to shout it out at work, but you do have to answer the question, do you count yourself among those who are saved? Jesus came to seek and save the lost. Are you one of them? If you're not, hold that thought. We're going to get back to you at the end of this message. But for those of us that would say, yes, I am, Jimmy. Good, thank you. What are we talking about next week? What's for lunch? There's a second question we need to ask. If I do count myself among those who are saved, here's the second question. If Jesus came to seek and save the lost and I consider myself a follower who does what he did, do I seek and save the lost? Hard question, right? Do I seek and save the lost? Now, who just immediately, don't raise your hands for this because you'd just be admitting the whole point here, who just got incredibly uncomfortable? Nobody likes when we talk about 
I don't like when we talk about this. My pastor in college, the one who did my wedding, he, he was just like a natural-born evangelist. His favorite thing to do was to tell you how you needed to tell other people about Jesus. He would talk to everybody about Jesus. He was one of those people that did not mind talking to strangers. I've been with him in a car where he got his food in a drive through window and said, hey, before I drive away, I just wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> Seriously, dude, no, this is embarrassing. There are people behind us. They saw you take your bag. There is a culturally appropriate and polite six-second window. They see you looking at her. They know there's a conversation. If she does not hand you a ketchup packet in the next three seconds, horns are going to blow. We're going to look weird. She already thinks we're weird. You just got a cheeseburger and you're asking her about Jesus. You know, I mean, who wants to do that? The minute we talk about do you seek and save the lost, what comes to mind is, oh, well, I've got to be the weirdo who is always talking about Jesus. Or I've got to be the one who makes every conversation awkward when I hang out with my family and my friends. You know, Thanksgiving dinner. That was an amazing turkey. Who made that turkey? Oh, and the cranberry sauce was so good. Reminds me of something, you know, Jesus. How you thought you'd get cranberry and Jesus together, I don't know, but we do it. Because we just think we have to, or you get the idea what comes to mind is I've got to go walk up to a perfect stranger and say, hi, my name is Bob, do you know Jesus? <laughs> and we're all terrified. Because we don't want to be the social outcast. We don't like talking to strangers and we don't want to ruin Thanksgiving dinner. So let me take the pressure off. How many of you would like me to take the pressure off of that? See, here's the good news. If we go and we study Jesus, good idea, right? If we go and look at what Jesus actually did in Scripture, He did not regularly walk around and go, you are lost and need me. He didn't even say that. He didn't walk around and go, are you aware of how bad a person you are and uh, you really need me? I mean, no. Here, here's what Jesus did. Jesus walked around and He told people about the very things that touched their heart. And that is who God was and what He wanted for them. You see, here's the truth. It doesn't matter if they're atheists, Christian, they love God, they hate God, they read the Bible, they've never read the Bible. Every human being wants the exact same thing. And that is a good life in a world that's not broken. At the end of the day, that's all every one of us wants. We want life the way it was supposed to be. When we're sick, something rises up in us and goes, this is not the way it should be. And you're right, because in the beginning we weren't sick. That was a part of sin. When somebody that we love dies, it breaks our heart and we go, this hurts. Exactly, it was never meant to. When things don't work out the way they're supposed to, whatever the situation is that you've been through, whatever you see people struggling with, all that's in them is saying, I want a life that doesn't hurt. I want a life where I feel loved. I want to be in a world that's not broken. And Jesus said, guess what? Your father wants the same thing. The one who created you, Guess what his intent was for this? All of us. You see, all Jesus really did wasn't go around and tell people how bad they were. He did that in church a couple of times. It turns out religious people needed to hear that. But everybody else, Jesus just revealed who the Father was, what his nature was like, and then showed him his power. He didn't walk around and do these. So here's the thing. You get to do this the same way. You're having lunch with somebody at work or you're, you're talking and they just start talking about what's wrong with the world and you're able to say, 
You know, I think God feels your pain. You don't have to do anything other than introduce them to the one who has the same heart that they have. Because here's another piece of good news. You know why you need to introduce them? Because you don't save anybody anyway. Did y'all know that? Jesus saved. You and I, all we do is introduce them to the one who does. But that still asks the question, because we can't ignore our personal responsibility. We still have to seek and introduce. We have to seek and introduce. We have to ask this question, do I actually seek and save the lost? So here's the thing. Romans 10, it tells us of how important this is for us. Maybe you've heard this before. It says, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Hallelujah, right? Amen. Woo! Except that the next verse says there's a problem. How then will they call on Him in whom they've never believed? And how are they to believe in Him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news? Now this is going to sound weird to you, but here's the question. Do you want your feet to be called beautiful? Do you want someone to come up to you in heaven and go, thank you, you made a difference. I think we have a personal responsibility to seek and by that, I don't mean just see. You know, sometimes I ask, hey, do we even see what's going on in the world? The problem with do we see is passive. You're just waiting on circumstances or a news article or something to come in front of your eyes and do you see? This is different. Do you seek? You see, Jesus left heaven not accidentally, but incredibly intentionally looking, seeking. Come on, we all played hide and seek at least once in our lives, right? And when you're playing hide and seek and you're the seeker, you don't just sit on the porch and cross your legs and wait on everybody to walk in front of you. It doesn't work that way. We get up and we start overturning furniture and pulling out behind bushes and whatever. We're looking intentionally for something that is trying to not be seen. And I think what we're called to do is not just go, well, you know, God, if something just like knocks me in the head today, I guess I'll respond to it. I think we're called to wake up and say, God, today, today I'm looking. Today I'm looking. And I want you to show me, God, I want you to tell me, is it somebody I work with? Is it a neighbor that I'm going to wave to and you want me to stop the car and start a conversation, just see how they're going, how life is? You know, what do you, I'm going to be looking, God, because today I'm seeking, I'm believing that there is someone. Now, here's the truth, though. That's heavy, isn't it? That's heavy. It's the reality of what we're called to do. I know it's heavy. But Jesus came to seek and save the lost, and that's what he has for us. That is our personal responsibility to do everything we can to find those people that are around us, whether they work with us, whether they're in our family, whether they live next door to us, wherever they are, it's our job to seek them out. And then all we have to do is introduce them to the one who saves. And it's an incredibly easy thing to do. Once we stop thinking that we have to talk to people we don't know and, and have awkward conversations, no, we're just looking because if you've ever played hide and seek, those people are waiting to be found. The one that the Holy Spirit points you to, that won't be a weird conversation. You're with me? The one the Holy Spirit points you to, the one you're seeking, the one that He's seeking at the exact same time when those come together, that, that won't be painful. It'll be one of the funnest things you ever do. Now, I'm going to shift gears. That part of the message is over. 
And I don't want you to lose the importance of what I just said. If every one of us would understand our personal responsibility, it's why Jesus left us here. Y'all do understand that, right? Jesus didn't leave us here together on Sundays and sing songs. You could say, well, why are we on earth to worship God? No, actually, that's not why we're on earth. Because here's the reality. We will worship God way better when we're in heaven. We will be perfect. Heaven will be perfect. And listen, Matt is just, he's pretty awesome, isn't he? But you know what? He's going to look like nothing compared to an angel. I mean, when an angel starts singing ah, in worship, I mean, it's just going to be amazing. So if God just wanted us to worship, he'd kill us all right now. We'd go into heaven, and it'd be the best worship you could ever experience. He didn't leave us here so we could worship. He didn't leave us here so that we could make money. We won't need that in heaven. He didn't leave us here for Walt Disney. He didn't leave us here for vacation. He left us here for one thing. He said, go and make disciples. And there's one verse in the Bible. This is so important. It says, do you know when this is all going to end? Because this is going to end. The end will come when the gospel has been preached to all nations. That's why we're here. But that also is the transition to what I want to talk about for the rest of today. You see, when it says the gospel has been preached to all nations, it doesn't mean countries with flags and lines on a map. What it actually is saying in the original languages is when the gospel has been preached to all ethnic people groups, all ethnos. And this may blow your mind, but there are people who have yet to be reached. So what I want to talk to you about is, we just talked about our personal responsibility. Please don't lose sight of that. But now I'm going to talk to you about our family responsibility. Grace Life Church as a family. If this is your church, if this is who you would say you are a part of, and you worship with Grace Life, and you are in this thing to change the world, let me talk to you about a couple of things we're, we're going to be doing, and one of them way more excited. I just, man, I've been waiting months to tell you about this one. Here's the first one. Okay, so you guys, have, if you've been around Grace Life for any time, you know we do what's called Summer of Serve, right? Anybody knows about Summer of Serve? We kick it off Memorial Day weekend, we end it Labor Day weekend, and throughout the summer, we do stuff all across the city, any different day, all kinds of different projects. We're simply trying to make Jesus famous in Columbia, right? And some of you have been a part of that before. So what we're going to start this year that we haven't done yet is we're going to have season of serve. And, and this comes from a simple idea. Do you know that we're about to have three major holidays in just 56 calendar days? And these holidays are so big that people actually aren't just off for those three days. Uh, they're off for either a weekend or a week or they're just non-productive the other time. Come on, some bosses in the room are like, oh my gosh, I hate these 56 days. Starts with Halloween, and then there's a sugar coma for the week that follows. Nobody gets anything done. And just right, right when you start functioning again, then you have Thanksgiving, and then you go into a turkey coma, you know, and uh, then you start functioning for about a week, and then there's Christmas, and there's all the everything. So, you know, for like, we're no good until like mid-January again. Here's the cool thing, though. In the, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk to you about what we'll be doing for Thanksgiving and what we'll be doing at Christmas, but Halloween is next week. And, and so Halloween is the only day of the year that virtually every American will open their door for you. And we're going to take advantage of that. Here's the cool part. They expect you to be a taker. And instead, we're going to be a giver. Here's what we're going to be doing. We've got some bags we're going to give out to you today. They're in the back of the room, right by the door. You can grab these as you leave. They're in bunches of 20, and inside there, 20 bags, 20 invites, little invites to the church here like this. And, and so don't give it out empty like this. See, it says no tricks, just a treat. There you go. And, and the idea is you're going to take this, and you're going to fill it with some awesome candy, really good candy, dark chocolate. 
the best dark chocolate. And if you do some really good dark chocolates, I live at 9 Auburn Crest Court. Okay, anyway. Fill this with good stuff, glow sticks, everything. Just, just stuff this thing, 20, and go to your neighbors. And when they answer the door, say, no, actually, I've got something for you. And the cool part, again, just because they are expecting a taker and you're a giver, you're going to blow their mind. You don't have to worry about saying anything awkward. You don't have to say anything other than read the bag. No tricks, just a treat. There you go, it's so easy. If they ask a question, just answer it. Why are you doing this? Because uh, we want to make Jesus famous in Colombia. Or because God loves you. If they ask another question, just answer it. It, it. Just answer their questions or walk away. This will blow their minds. As long as you put good stuff in it. If you're going to be cheap, if you're just putting two Tootsie Rolls in here, please go get a different church's card. There you go. A minute ago, I told you that the end will come when the gospel has been preached to all ethnic people groups. This may blow your mind, but there are people on the earth today, entire cultural groups in very large numbers, sometimes in small numbers, and they do not know what Jesus has done for them. They do not have Scripture telling them who their God is. And they have no one working among them to change that. Does that surprise you? Every time I think about it, it surprises me. I'm like, we've got the airplane. It's been around for a century. We've got satellite images of the entire globe. We've got the internet. How in the world do we still have people today that do not know? We call these unreached, unengaged, People groups, they're unreached because they do not have the gospel. They're unengaged because no one is working to change that and they are an ethnic people group. We use the language UUPG, unreached, unengaged people groups. Why are they unreached and unengaged? Very simply. We already did the easy ones. We've been talking about Jesus all across planet Earth. We've been sending missionaries everywhere for hundreds of years. And we've done the easy ones. We've been to the places where you are likely to be able to set up house and shop and have a good life and meet people and enjoy good food. The places that are left, well, they're just hard to go to because you probably won't come back, even if you're able to go. And you would say, well, Jimmy, that's kind of a downer. What are we going to do about that? Well, here's the good news. There's a list of these unreached, unengaged people groups and the church on planet Earth is working very, very hard to eliminate that list. And there is one organization in particular that a friend of mine is leading. He, he's a pastor who does a lot of mission stuff. That's always been his heart. And so when he was asked to take over this organization to reach this list, he, he said, uh, first of all, if I take over, you're going to let me do things differently because what we've been doing for hundreds of years isn't working. And, and here's a simple point. The reason that we still have these unreached, unengaged groups is because we can't go. I mean, we literally can't get a visa into the place in most cases, and if we did go, we will probably be dead before the day is up. This is the kind of places that are left, the kind of people groups left to reach. So he says, wait a minute, why, why have we been spending so much energy on trying to send those who cannot go and those who cannot succeed to a place that they can't get into? Why don't we send people who are the same culturally, who are closer to them, people who have already made Jesus their king, why don't we partner with them and work with them and send them? 
And so this incredible work has been going on for the past few years to partner American churches, American uh, Christians who pray and resources with those who will actually go. And when these people go, they give everything. Now, if you're listening to this on the internet, if, you, if you're watching this right now and you're not watching it live, I want you to know that you're about to get your feed cut. Because what I'm about to say can only be said live and not on the internet. So those of you that are in the room, you're, you're getting a special treat. And then we'll be back with the internet folks here to wrap up the message in a minute. In the time that we've been doing this project over the last couple of years, we have lost workers. There are people who have said they will go and they did not come home. So what can we do? In my opinion, the easiest thing in the world. We get to live here in America. We get to have air conditioning and lights and we get to go eat at Red Robin and go on vacation all while they've agreed to go for us. And you would say, well, so are you about to ask us to give? No, I'm not. And let me tell you why. This is cool. Because you already have. You already have. You see, every Monday morning at Grace Life, we take 11%. It's a tithe plus one because we wanted to give extra. And every Monday morning, we take 11% of everything given here and we put it in the missions funds. And so we have been doing missions work all around the world. We already are. Here's what you, you may not know. If you've ever given as little as $1 here at Grace Life, somebody from one of these two places is going to walk up to you in heaven and say, thank you. You already have an inheritance among what God is doing in the unreached, unengaged people groups that we're working with. You already have that inheritance. It's already done. We already have enough missions funds to support this. I'm not asking you to give this morning, but I am asking you to pray, but I'm asking you to pray in a way that's serious. Y'all know how we are as Christians? Oh, hey, sorry to hear about that. I'll pray for you. And we never think about it again, right? Today, I'm asking you to be serious. And if you will agree to pray, and I'm not asking you all to agree to pray, but if you'll agree to pray, I'm going to ask you to be serious about praying. And I want to give you this illustration. If you know this story, there's a story in the Old Testament where the Israelites are in a battle. And Moses is told to raise up his hands and hold them up over the battle. And as long as Moses keeps his hands up, they're winning the battle. But as you can imagine, as the day goes on and the battle rages for hours and hours, this is a difficult position to hold. And so over time, his arms begin to falter. And as his arms falter, then the Israelites begin to lose in battle. And he has to lift his hands back up. And they keep going. To, and, and finally somebody figures out, what if we come and hold up his hands? What if we prop up his arms? That's what you and I get to do. We get to live here in a comfortable world. We get to have a good life. And all we've got to do is prop up the arms of those who have been willing to give their lives. What I'm going to ask you to do is to become one of those people who will take a day. If you want to take every day, that's fine. I don't care, but I'm going to ask you to take a day. Because if somebody has risked their lives, the least we can do is pick a day and pray. Amen? So, look, I don't want to make light of our personal responsibility to reach your next door neighbor. We personally must seek and save the lost. But as a family, we're also going to take very seriously the goal to reach Columbia, South Carolina, every opportunity we get, and honestly, to the ends of the earth. You see, because of Jesus, because He came to seek and save the lost, you and I, we seek and save the lost. Now, I want to close by talking to those of you earlier. I asked a very simple question. Do you count yourself among those Jesus saved? 
Would you say, yes, I'm saved. I'm saved from the future that I deserve and I've been given one that I don't. Count me in. If you've never done that, I want to help you do that right now. I want to help you have a conversation with Jesus where you surrender your life to Him. You recognize He died for you. Now you want to live for Him. If you've never done that, I'm going to help you have a conversation. That's all it is. I'm not going to ask you to stand up or come down front, but right where you're seated. Would you all join me? Would you pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank You that You died for me. And now, I want to live for You. I thank You that You came to seek and to save me. I thank You for Your love, Your mercy, and Your forgiveness. And my simple prayer in this place today is that You would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in Your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it. Head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. If you have any questions or want to know more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We would love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.